ceiling is the roof. We are halfway through an 82 game season. Played 59 games. That is a it's a big half. Um, six of one half dozen of the other. The other half dozen is going to be 23 games. We've reached the sprint portion of the season. My name is Bobby Corella. Joining me today, a very familiar voice, but the tables have turned because normally <laughs> Kevin Gray, who's joining me today, is asking me the questions. Normally he's asking Mavs players, Mavs coaches the questions. But today, Kevin, I'm going to absolutely grill you. So I hope you're ready. <laughs> I am ready. I appreciate uh, being on with you, man. Long time coming and uh, looking forward to jumping in with you today. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So you can find Kevin, Kevin Gray Sports on Twitter, Kevin Gray Sports on YouTube. And also you can find him on 105.3 The Fan. And also more importantly, as it relates to this conversation, is you can find Kevin, if you've ever watched a Mavs press conference, he is usually asking uh kind of like the most challenging questions dude like i'm pretty impressed that even like even last season after games where like things were really bad you know everyone was in a really bad mood and like kelly ray jr gave the mavs 40 points like you were still you were saying like what's going on guys like you're you're not afraid <laughs> to be like yo like you need to tell me what's going on rick and j kid and luca and kp and all these guys yeah i think it's um it's part of the responsibility not just in doing this job, but also, you know, we are the eyes and the ears of the fans who don't have an opportunity to be able to ask these questions and be able to understand, you know, at a deeper level what's going on. So I just feel like it's part of my responsibility and our responsibility as folks who cover this team and talk about this team on a daily basis to try and get as much information as possible so that we can tell fans and people who watch the team and who support this team hey, these are the things that we see. We're trying to ask the questions that are the most important to be able to give you a better understanding of how you can, you know, be a fan or be one that supports your team. So, you know, I, I enjoy it. I think it's um, I think it's one of those things that just comes, I think, for me naturally just to be able to ask those kinds of questions. You know, I try to I try to frame them in a way that because especially after losses, right? it's really difficult to ask questions, especially for guys who may not necessarily want to answer questions to begin with. Jalen, you went five for 18 tonight. Uh, how does yeah. it feel to just really be a disappointment to your team? <laughs> exactly. Right. But you got to frame it in a way that gives context that, that they can understand like, Hey, you know, I'm not trying to beat you down here, but you know, obviously as a professional, there are things to be answered for. And the same way that they, I think, understand that we understand that as well. We want to try to do the best job as possible. Who is your favorite player, non-coaches? Because I feel like, you know, Rick was always kind of guarded, but he would be pretty honest and give some good mm -hmm. quotes. J-Kid is really, you know, he's said some interesting stuff. Who is your favorite player to either talk to, like interview, ask questions yourself, or just like listen to them talk about whatever, wherever? Ironically, it's a guy who's not necessarily here anymore, who actually isn't here anymore. Uh, it was Christos Porzingis for me. I always thought that he, there was always a level of genuine and levity that he brought to his conversations. He was never afraid to answer a question. I never thought that he was not genuine when he answered questions, especially difficult ones. I can remember a specific example. You know, he has started to just come back from his, you know, torn ACL. And, uh, you know, I asked him, you know, hey, you know, what's it going to take to kind of get you, you know, going again? And I just remember vividly, you know, he's like, man, I've got to get to got to get the feel back. And he was just, you know, he could tell that he was really wanting to to do that. But uh, yeah, he was definitely, you know, one of my favorites. I think, um, man, 
LeBron James comes to mind. Um, yeah, that was a moment that I'll never forget being able to ask and talk to him, you know, um, who else? Those two really stick out in my mind. Um, Greg Popovich is another one. Now, that's going to get Mavs fans really upset. But I'll tell you a quick story about that. You got to so, have some courage to even like be in the same room as Pop, by the way. Exactly. That's very true. And the publication I was working with for that at the time, it was one of my first few games actually covering, you know, the Mavericks and it happened to be Spurs night. And, you know, you hear all the stories about Popovich, how intense he is. You know, you got to really, if you're going to ask him a question, like you got to be on point with it. So we were having a conversation about, you know, different players and getting to understand, you know, how times have changed. How do you coach players in a different era? like this. And I asked him, you know, a question along those lines. And at first, you know, he gave me a really kind of a joking answer, but in the serious way that pop does it, because he said, you know, they just, I just make them do everything. Like he, they just do everything. But then he, he laughed and he realized who I, you know, I was kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of a nervous reporter here. Can you kind of help me out here? <laughs> yeah. So he eventually answered the question and he gave a really thoughtful, deep, deep answer about, learning how to coach different players in different eras and understanding how to connect with them. And I thought that was very poignant for him, for a guy who's been in the business as long as he has to understand how to evolve as a coach and what it's take to win in this league. And for him to take the time to answer, you know, that question and answer in a thoughtful way, I thought was, you know, really cool of him. But yeah, that was, that's one of the few times I've ever gotten intimidated was, you know, talking to Greg Popovich, but he made it, you know, much easier experience for me after that point. So, well, that's cool, Pop. But uh, yeah. he still sucks. The Spurs still suck. I know, know. I know. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I was hesitant to tell this story because Mad fans gonna get real charged up at me for telling me a yeah, Pop. Yeah, yeah. All, story, all but... the necessary disclaimers. Exactly. Uh, we still exactly. rooted very hard against him that night. Exactly. Very, very much, very yeah. much so. Uh, Jake has been surprisingly like. There's been some quotes this year that are kind of surprisingly a little spicy, you know, and mm -hmm. he can be kind of to the point. And at the beginning, you know, his his kind of like intro presser, you know, obviously there were a lot of circumstances attached to that it was not only Jay Kidd's intro, it was Nico's intro. And there was, mm. a, a, you know, some off the court stuff that that he needed to address as well. But like, he kind of seemed as this sort of like, ah, shucks, real like guarded, real quiet, kind of like unassuming character. But then after some of these games, he's like, straight up saying this team isn't built to play defense. So like, I'm I'm kind of like surprised that he's willing to go there. But also, given that his whole point is like, I'm trying to take this team to the next level, like, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But the more telling aspect of it, I think, is, you know, it doesn't seem like the players are really bothered by any of the stuff that he says, even whenever he's kind of taking shots at, at them, essentially. Yeah, and I think part of that is, you know, the growth and evolution of him as a coach, because he's coached, you know, varying degrees of experience of players, if you will, when you start thinking about what he had in Brooklyn, you know, with Paul Pierce and some of those guys that were there. And then you start when he had in, uh, in Milwaukee with Giannis, a young Giannis and trying to get him to grow. He's coached various different age levels and experiences that now with his experience with the Mavericks, I think the conversations that he's willing to have with us and express the things that he has, I think it's a reflection of what he's actually talking about with his players. And I don't think that's something that should be lost on people is that when he has come here and tried to do is turn around something that a lot of people didn't think could actually happen, get an offensive team to develop a defensive mindset that could play that kind of way night in and night out, regardless, you know, if they're making shots. And if those things aren't happening, it sounds like based on the way that he's communicated with us, 
those are real conversations that he's having on a daily basis with this team. So it's funny because when, you know, when I asked him that, what I tried to do was use his own words that he has said to us and reframe them in a way that, well, you've been talking about this with your players because the conversation I think was, you know, you've been saying that, Hey, your players are hanging your heads when they're not making shots. Well, why is it that message responding? If that's something that you've constantly talked about. And then that's when he went into the answer. Well, well, you know, we weren't built to play defense. I was shocked by the answer that he was that candid and that poignant about it, it. Yeah. But I think that was also a direct reflection of this is what this team is. This is what I'm trying to work on. And this is not something that I haven't said, you know, to them based on the way he responded. So I think that's good that he's evolved in that way. But at times it is interesting that he'll, he has learned, I think, to pick and choose his spots to push buttons. And I think any good coach realizes that when those, those buttons have to be, to be pushed and utilized at times. I think it's important that you mentioned the, the fact that like he's already talking about it with them too, because you know, this isn't going to be news to anybody, I guess that's listening to a basketball podcast. You got to be a real dork to, to listen to this at all. But like coaches will sometimes communicate to their players through the media, but it doesn't really feel like at any point, Jake Kidd has said something to us that he hasn't said to them. And I'm Mm -hmm. not necessarily saying even that like Rick, for example, would do that. I think Rick did tell us some stuff that he probably didn't tell them, but it was mostly like insults directed at us, (laughs) not (laughs) not necessarily to the players, but like some coaches, you know, are going to be kind of cryptic to criticize Mm -hmm. their superstar because they maybe don't have the, the guts to say it to his face or like politically, you just don't have the points to do that. But like, feels like Jay Kidd is not saying anything new to us that the players haven't already heard 500 times. Yeah, and I think that's important, especially when you're trying to connect with a superstar at the level of a Luka Doncic, but also, and I hate to go back and use Popovich, but one of the things that he was most famous about was the way that he treated Tim Duncan, he treated everyone on the roster the same. So if Kidd could set the example of, hey, I can have these conversations with Luka Doncic, that means I can have this conversation you know, with Josh Green, like it doesn't matter what kind of player or who you are on this team, the same message is going to get disseminated to all of you. And if your best player can understand it and take, the, you know, the criticism or the encouragement or whatever the case may be, that means you as the 12th man should be able to take it as well. And I think that's important to establish that kind of credibility on a team, especially when you have a superstar like Luka Doncic in that way, who I think is willing to take that criticism and learn from him, especially from a guy who's been through the kinds of things that Jason Kidd has had in his basketball career. That is, does this team seem like just day to day, just happier to you or more pleasant, more just kind of like <laughs> pumped to be around. And again, like it's very tough. I, general disclaimer, very, very tough to talk about any sort of mood improvement or any type mm-hmm. of any improvement without it feeling like these guys are just taking pot shots at Rick Carlisle. <laughs> but like yeah. genuinely, it just feels like everyone is just in a better mood all the time. Or am I just off base? No, I think you're hundred percent on there because you watch this team, how they practice, how they interact. You can tell that there's a different air of how they go about their business. And I think a lot of that has to do with Jason Kidd and what he wants to set as far as a tone for how his players communicate with each other, how they communicate with him, their ability to go with him and ask questions. I think the best example of that, you know, is Jalen Brunson and the growth of his game. He has talked about it on multiple occasions, crediting Jason Kidd with the growth of his game and his ability to ask questions, to be able to pick his brain, to understand what he wants him to do as a player on this team. And I think a lot of that starts with, 
the atmosphere that Jason Kidd has created. And I think you are seeing a more confident bunch, a more excited bunch to get to practice, to play, and to just be together as a team. This team has never had a problem with togetherness, per se, but it feels a little bit different the way that they're going about it under Jason Kidd, it seems like, so far. It's been 82 games, man. Like, if you're in a bad mm -hmm. mood, that stuff can fester, and it's not mm -hmm. going away anytime soon because you got another game tomorrow. Like, there's no escaping bad, just bad energy. That's true. It's very true. And you have to be able to turn that off fairly quickly because you're right. You may have four games in five nights that you don't have time to dwell on, you know, a 30 point beat down. You may have suffered at the hands of whomever, because you got to turn the page the next night. And it takes a special group to be able to turn that page and consistently do that, you know, night overnight when it comes to the NBA. All right. So we're going all the way back to October. Like mm -hmm. I think you and I even did, well, we talked on draft night, which was way in the summer, but like we had sort of looked ahead to the season by that point, if we were to talking back then and I would have said, okay, Mavs can be top six, fifth. Heck, they might even be pushing for home court. They're going to have a good defense, superstar playing at a high level, MVP level, you know, going to make a couple trades, going to make a couple moves, but generally they're going to be pretty good. Like, I don't think anyone would have been like, oh yeah, that's, that's really surprising to me. I can't believe that that would happen. But then if we would have had that same conversation in like November or December <laughs> or at the beginning of January, like, I don't think that what their that their record or their placement or even any of their stats or anything is surprising. In fact, I guess probably the most surprising thing is that their offense is ranked as low as it is, but I think they're like mm -hmm. up to 15th now. But given like how circuitous the road was to this point, like we can't say that this is what we expected because like the journey to the final result, if this is the final result, has not been anywhere near as like smooth or pearly as we thought it was going to be. Not at all. I mean, it was weird because they've gone through so much to the first couple months of the year, whether it was COVID issues, injury issues, inconsistent play night to night, whether it be, you know, offensively not making shots. One of the biggest storylines for this team early on in the season was they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn when it came to, you know, making three point shots. You know, Reggie Bullock was struggling, you know, from the three point line, which. I guess historically is something that he's done during the first portion, first halves of seasons, but still you would want, Hey, new free agent coming in to make an impact. And it just simply, you know, wasn't having Timmy Hardaway was struggling at times throughout the season. There was just a lot of different things that said, I don't think this is a team that's going to win 45 to 50 games or be in position to win, you know, 45 to 50 games by the time we get to seasons end. But I think one thing that we'll look back on this season, regardless of how they finish was when they were going through all of their COVID situations, and the amount of 10-day guys that they signed, one of which, or a couple of which, you know, Theo Pinson and, you know, Marquise Chris, you know, obviously, you know, still around. That time frame where those guys, even Isaiah Thomas for the short time that he was here, Chris, you know, Theo Pinson, those guys, they really held things together in a way that when we look back on this year, we'll say if, the, if that portion of that season didn't happen and those guys didn't play as hard as they did, who knows where this team actually might be at? So I think that's one of the things that I always think about during that first half of the year was, man, those COVID 10-day signings, those 10-day contracts, those guys really stabilized things to get the match to a point where they were able to get over the injury, you know, concerns. You know, Luka Doncic was able to finally get over his, you know, knee and ankle and, you know, overweight issues, all the things that he was dealing with to now we see where this team is, you know, a season high 11 games 
above 500. That's what sticks out in my mind for sure during the first half of the year. Because this was around, it was like what, Thanksgiving? They went to that West Coast road trip. They had two games in Phoenix. Basically the same game played two games in a row where the Mavs were playing pretty well and then the fourth quarter happened. Um, and then kind of a similar thing happened against the Clippers. Mm -hmm. So they lose three games in a row without Luka and Luka comes back and they're able to win that game in overtime. And then Luka gets hurt again or, or leaves again or whenever after that Indiana game in like early to mid-December and misses a month, like a, a full month of basketball. He was mm -hmm. out. And uh, it's not like the games in between whenever he came back and left again were that good. You know, you're going like almost a month and a half without Luka and the times that you had him, he was not Luka. So like you're even going longer without Luka. Mm -hmm. The fact that they were even able to stay afloat and now they, they fell under 500. I mean, 16 and 18, I think. After um, after Chemezi Metu beat the buzzer from the corner, which is that's a whole other <laughs> yeah, that's discussion. A, yeah, but mm -hmm. uh, I mean, just like for as much, and I'm not even trying to like argue with the straw man thing of like this team is just Luca and a bunch of dudes, but like I am shocked, genuinely shocked that they are in this position given that Luca missed a month and a half of the season. Mm -hmm. I mean, the year the Mavs won the championship, Dirk missed nine games. They went two and seven in those nine games, like in the middle of January, February, like that's not supposed to happen, you know, like, the, and, and I'm not sure, even sure what their record was. It was still below 500, but like, if you play 15 games without Luca and you're able to go whatever, six and nine, that is a huge victory over what it probably would have been last year or the year before. It's just a huge victory. And the fact that we have like Marquise Chris and Theo Pinson to thank of for all <laughs> exactly. of all people is like even more surprising to me. And I think that speaks a lot to the character of this team, the guys that were on this team that they did not, they could have easily folded during that month, you know, month and a half stretch where he was gone, but they didn't. And you give credit to Jason Kidd, you give credit to this coaching staff for keeping this team locked in, but you had a lot of motivated guys who were trying to, I mean, for lack of a better, they were just trying to stick around in the league. You know, these guys are trying to keep and help hang on the jobs, but I think that speaks to a lot of what this team has built, what they've gone through over the last few years, and to be able to hold themselves together in that way until they got back, I thought was extremely impressive and one of the most important stretches of the season for them that will serve them well as they go through down the slate portion, you know, the stretch of the season, you know, post all-star break as they try to get themselves ready for the for the playoffs. Is this team good? Or is it just kind of like kind of good? Or is it still too early to tell? 59 games is a lot, but they haven't. I mean, Luca again, missed a month and a half. They just made a trade. Like, are the Mavs actually good? That's a loaded question, right? Because on the one hand, are they good defensively? Yeah, this is a I'm to the point where now where this is not a fluke for me. They've done it enough over the season to convince me, OK, this is a legitimately good defensive basketball team that regardless of whether or not they're hitting shots, most nights they're going to bring the defensive effort to keep them in games. Sometimes it may not necessarily work, you know, where Luka Doncic may have to, you know, go off for 20-point quarters to try and get them back in the games. But most times this team is good defensively. Offensively, I think it's still where I have questions because Luka Doncic is going to get his. We're to the point in his career now where regardless, most nights he's going to get his. Who is going to come with him on those nights when he's not necessarily hitting shots? Jalen Brunson, who has been so good this year, and he's going to be so fascinating to watch this summer and how his contract negotiations um, go. 
but guys hopefully like him, quickly and smoothly kevin I, look I, i'm right there with you and you know mark cuban's talked about wanting to keep these guys luxury tax all this like what amazes me a quick aside this team hasn't been a luxury tax team in a decade but the fact that they're willing to do it now at least at least what mark cuban has said going into this offseason is you know that should be a good sign for Mavs fans well maybe you know hey we're gonna do what they got to do to keep some, some of these guys but Jalen Brunson has been fantastic, but who's going to come with Luca on a night-to-night basis? You miss, obviously, what Tim Hardaway was doing, even though he was struggling, you know, from the three-point line and what he's able to bring. But guys like Reggie Bullock have stepped up. Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, his ability to hit corner threes. Obviously, Maxi Kleba has been playing really well as of late. Guys have stepped up on nights where you need someone else to come with him. And now I'm interested to see how guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, how they come along for the final you know, 20-some-odd games of the season. Davis Bertans, who's already made an impact. You saw what he did in Miami, you know, with his ability to shoot from the three-point line. So this is a good team, a team that should, could get to the top four of the West by the time we get to season's end. I think they're good enough to be a top four team in the West this season. Built on the back of a defense, which you, you think is legit. I think it's legit, too. But, dude, so – where we sit in the arena is different now than it was last year. So Kevin, mm-hmm. whenever you go to games, you usually sit what like in the in section like one twenty three at mm-hmm. the top of that at the top of the lower bowl, basically. Mm-hmm. Where I sit is way up top in the press box, which is like if you've if you've been to American Airlines Center, the gigantic like Comerica Bank uh, thing I think is is what it is blue thing way up at the roof like above the highest level. Uh, that's where I sit way up top. I'm a little ant if you sit down low. Um, but that means I can see everything, and that also means that I could say whatever I want up there because no one can hear me. Uh, <laughs> but last season, empty gym for the first half of the year or whatever, and basically by empty, I mean like for the first few games, it was literally like us and St. Marshall. Like St. Marshall was the fan. She was uh-huh. like the one fan in the building, and then it was us. And even as people started to, you know, slowly we'd bring a couple hundred and then a couple hundred more and a couple hundred more. But like we had our own empty gym last year, which means we could hear everything. You know, we were sitting in a slightly different, from a slightly different vantage point, but we could still pretty much see everything, you know, right by the Mavs bench. We could hear the huddles. It was a pretty like immersive experience, you know, um, and I've sat down low during games like courtside and that's pretty cool too. But just last year in particular, getting our own private NBA game, hearing everything that's going on in both huddles at all times, like we were able to really get a good idea of what was going on mm-hmm. and the scene was not always pretty last sure. year. I remember having a few, uh, a few <laughs> tirades, uh, you know, out loud about what was going on on the floor, and you sure. were, you know, you were on the receiving end of of hearing everything that I was saying. Uh, I feel like their big improvement on defense this year, based on what we saw last year, and you know, again, very up close and very personal, like. You can change all the X's and O's and stuff that you want, but like, dude, I feel like they're just trying harder, you know, and that's last year. How many times did we just look at each other and be like, dude, just, just try harder. (laughs) you like, they just got beat off the dribble. Just try harder. Just Mm -hmm. use 10% more energy, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's a hundred percent correct because we would watch at times and you would just look, shake your head. Like, you know, Stay in front of your man, you know, show a little bit more defensive intensity, show have something some pride, gives, man. Ex- you know? Exactly. Yeah. That's that old adage. You know, have some pride on defense, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that again, speaks to Jason Kidd and what Sean, especially Sean Sweeney. I don't think Sean Sweeney gets enough credit 
for what he's been able to do as the quote unquote kind of defensive coordinator for this team to really change the way that they go about their effort defensively night in and night out. Oh man, the coffee must have been real good. It must have been. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Crisis averted though. Just landing on the seat, not on my pants. Okay. Okay. There we go. There we go. But I think it's one of those things where when you look at this team and you look at the way that even Luka Doncic, who is never going to be a great defensive player, you could tell that night in and night out, he's putting together the kind of effort on defense that's contagious to his teammates. Cause you know, guys like Dorian Finney Smith and Maxi Cleaver, I think the two best defenders, you know, on this team, Reggie Bullock and other guys they are going to bring defensive intensity. But when your superstar is showing a measure of competence and effort defensively, that's a big deal for the rest of this team. And I think going forward, that will start to be some of the identity of how this team goes about whether they're not, whether they're hitting shots or not. Most nights are going to bring the kind of defensive energy that will give us more confidence that if they can't hit shots, they can keep themselves in games with defensive effort and intensity that will allow them to stay in ball games. And even Maxi Cleveland, I think talked about it, you know, recently, you know, with the changes that they've been made, even for him, it's been big because, if guys put together just another half second of effort defensively, it allows him to rotate better so that he can be able to make plays. And we've seen him, you know, with the block shots and those kinds of things. Those are the small things that have changed for this team that have made a really, really big difference that I think they can continue to hang on to as they go in, into the rest of the season and into the playoffs. Yeah, that half second, dude, it is so important because it, mm-hmm. th- that's the difference between you know getting beat off the dribble in one dribble or getting beat off the dribble in two dribbles. Mm-hmm. And that, like, especially last season, you know, playing with a, a, a slowed down, hampered version of KP. You know, he sure. wasn't completely up to speed for most of last season. That's the difference between him getting there and him not getting there. Mm-hmm. Or, like, in the fourth quarter, you got Maxi, who's played 30 minutes, hanging out on the weak side. That extra dribble will let him get over there whenever he's a little more tired. You know, he'll, he'll be able to make it in time. And, uh, you know, I... It's just a a defense is a five man thing, right? And the way the Mavs are defending this year, it's definitely five man. It's a lot of help. It's a lot of rotating. It's a lot of communicating. Mm-hmm. If you have a wink link, I, let me. I said that the wrong way. Wink leak. If you have a a weak link, Kevin, <laughs> there we uh, go. It is going to crumble. I mean, it's mm-hmm. impossible to defend in the NBA now if you got one guy getting beat. It's just tough, and it happens still. You know the games they lost to the Clippers guys are just getting beat off the dribble. I mean, that's, it just is what happens. And, you know, whenever teams are able to spread you out, like the Clippers are playing five out their Zubats is on the bench. Like they're playing Marcus Morris at center. You're mm-hmm. not going to have a rim protector. Like they even, whether it's KP or Rudy Gobert or like, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon back there, it does not matter because that dude's going to be on the perimeter, you know? And so you have to be able to stay in front of your man. You can't play like, system defense all the time and staying in front of your man with as quick as guys are you can't grab them or push them or anything like you just got to try hard and Mm -hmm. you know it's not even a it's not even a motivation thing because like probably the best motivator in the nba right now is jamal mosley who was on the staff (laughs) last season whenever we were imploring the maps to try harder you know so it's not all just buy-in and and motivation everything i mean it it just straight up is i think I think guys are just happier. I, I really, I just think that's what it, whenever you're happier, you're willing to try harder. You're willing to work harder whenever you are just in a, in a better mood. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think people may hear that and say, well, that's not necessarily, you, you know, tangible or something, but those are things that when you look at the game of basketball itself, 
how guys' energy plays out night in and night out, how guys feel about their teammates, how they feel about their coaches. Are their coaches putting them in the best positions to succeed night in and night out? That, as a player, would give them confidence to be able to perform and execute. And by a byproduct of that is, I think you're going to be happier about who you're playing with, who you're getting you know, taught from. All of those things, I think, connect together in a way that I don't think people have as much of an appreciation of because it sounds trivial, but well, I mean, honestly, related to your job, like if you hate your, well, even if you yeah. hate your boss, if you hate the dude in the cubicle next to you, like if you, if you're just mad at anyone, if you're having a bad day, like it's going to affect you in your office job or at your, it, whatever. If you work at a movie theater, I used to work at a movie theater, dude, when I was on, when I was on a shift cleaning theaters with people I did not like, or I didn't get along with, it, it makes it hard. Like it, I was never going to get out of there. This four hour yeah. shift felt like it was 10 hours, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the same. And all of those things work in concert together for these athletes to be able to perform at their best. And that to me has been a very, very positive sign about this team and how they've gone about their business is that they feel connected and are playing for one another in a way that you can feel is tangibly different than what it was under Rick Carlisle. Not to say that they weren't, it just feels different this time around. Do you think that what Luke is doing right now, I mean, like the, the week, week and a half that he's had 50 points, 49 points, 40, whatever points against the Pelicans, 49 again, I think 45, mm -hmm. like the dude is just playing out of his mind. He's like 2005 Kobe, you know, whenever he went on that just massive run <laughs> in March or that, April, yeah. whatever that was like, mm -hmm. do you think that, that is sustainable. Do you think that was just a little outburst before the all-star break? Like coming out of the break, do you believe Luca can do that for 23 more games or is he going to have to tap the brakes at some point to, to save some energy? Well, two things. One, I hope he doesn't have to go off for 45 every night because that to me is concerning. <laughs> if your number one guy's got to go off for 45 every night just to keep you, you know, in ball games. But I think for me, it's a recognition of, he knows that this is his team fully now. Not that it necessarily wasn't, but this is his team. They will go as deep as he takes them. And there are nights where he'll have to go off for 45, 15, and 10. There are nights where we'll have to do, you know, 20, 10, and 10. There will be nights where he has to do different things to allow his team to win ball games, whether it be rebounding more, being more of a facilitator, or nights where he has to go get, you know, 40 for himself. I hope that as the season goes on, Jalen Brunson, Reggie Bullock, Spencer Dinwiddie in a lot of ways help take some of that scoring load off of him so he doesn't necessarily have to go off for 45 every night. But I think it was just fun to watch him. It's kind of like when a person realizes their full capabilities of who they are and then they decide to actually tap into them what they can actually do. That's what it felt like over the last couple of weeks is that for some reason it felt like Luka Doncic realized, oh, yeah, I can go off for 45 a night if I want to. Oh, hey, yeah, I can go get 15 rebounds or 10 assists or whatever. I can do that on a night-to-night -night basis. And I think for every superstar, there comes a realization of who they are as a player and then realizing that they can go do that whenever they want to. There were nights where I felt like there's no one in the league that can guard him. There's no one in the league that can stop him. If he wants to go off for 40, he's going to go get 40. It's just a matter of who else comes with him. I want to see some more balance offensively, obviously, going forward. But, yeah, for that stretch of two weeks, I've never seen a player, especially at his age, like people forget, what was this, you know, he's going to be 23 in a few days. <laughs> like, no one should be doing he's a child. <laughs> like, he's a kid. Like, he's a kid. And that's the other part, too, is 
I don't think he fully knows yet. Like he's not even close to his prime yet. That's that to me is the most frightening part. He's 22 about to about to be 23. He's nowhere near his prime yet. And to see what he's doing already, I shudder to think what the league will be in his hands in the next three or four years if he's already doing this, you know, at 22, about to be 23. What do you think his prime looks like? So not even you don't even have to mention stats because, like, for example, you could be a better player and average fewer points. But sure. like what the the a prime 27 year old Luca game in whatever 2028, whenever that happens, like what does that game look like? What kind of player is he whenever he's at, at his absolute peak? If he becomes an, an 80% free throw shooter, just 80%, he'll average 30 a night every year at that point of his career. I think that's the one part of his game. I think he'll tell you that too, you know, his free throws, if he's a 80%, 81% free throw shooter, he averages 30 a night. There will be multiple years. I could see down the road in multiple years him averaging triple doubles every year. Like this is not, and it's not on, you know, you can say what you want about Russell Westbrook and, you know, those triple doubles that he's had. Luca's ability to be a triple double, a walking triple double, as Derek Harper would say, you know, that to me is what I see in his future at 26, 27, 28 years old a guy who's averaging 30 a night and averaging a triple double for multiple seasons. Like that's to me will be the peak of his game. Whenever you look at the West and I know a lot of people are licking their chops because like Utah right now is struggling a little bit. Um, Denver still hurt Memphis, not a lot of experience, whatever. Mm -hmm. Who in the West? I mean, there's a chance, I guess, that Kawhi or Paul George could be back in the playoffs, but it's very unlikely that the Mavs would ever run into the Clippers unless the Mavs are in the plan, which would be a big bummer. Mm -hmm. Is there a player or a team, I guess, in the West who could defend Luka any better than what the Clippers have done the last two years, which is to say, I mean, he averaged like 35 a game mm -hmm. in those series. So, like, who in the West is capable of guarding this guy or if the Mavs are able to make the playoffs and be the top six or whatever, like no matter who they play, our teams is going to have to resort to double teaming him for an entire series. Because I, I don't see outside of maybe Mikhail Bridges, which would be like a second or third round opponent. If, if they're able to get there, I'm not sure that there is a single player in the West or maybe even in the NBA, but certainly in the West that can guard him and really make him uncomfortable for any longer than like five seconds at a time. No, I don't think there's anyone in the West that could guard him one-on-one -on -one or guard him for multiple possessions and feel like you could have confidence to leave that guy on an island with him. I don't think there's anyone in the West, even a guy in Clay Thompson, you know, who in years past was a terrific one-on-one -on -one defender, terrific wing defender. He's compromised now with coming back from, you know, from his injuries and those kinds of things. So, no, I don't think there's anyone. As I look, like I said, maybe Mikel Bridges as deeper, you go deeper into the playoffs because he's a terrific defender on his own. But no, there isn't a, a guy, a single guy that can guard him one-on-one -on -one or for multiple possessions and feel like you could feel confident leaving him out there. And if I was a team in the West, you, you mentioned earlier how, you know, we don't want to characterize it as, you know, Luka and a bunch of guys. But if I was a Western Conference opponent, that's exactly how I would look at this Mavs team. Luka Doncic is not going to beat me. He may get his 25 or his 30 but the rest of these guys, I'm going to make them beat me. So if it means I have to send multiple guys, double teams, you know, junk it up with some boxing one, whatever you want you to do, yeah, he may eventually figure it out, but I'm going to try to outlast him to see if it takes him long enough 
to figure it out before I can beat him four times. Because if you feel like you can beat him four times before he eventually figures it out, then you go with that. But yeah, I don't think there's anybody that can guard him one-on-one for a series and you feel good about it at all in my mind. That kind of is like indicative of, you know, what I was saying before, Utah's been losing, Denver's hurt. Oh my gosh, Memphis, no experience. Like the Mavs are an imperfect team too. You know, you just spelled it out. Like the Mavs are going to have to prove something, whether it's, you know, maybe teams do what, what you're suggesting, which is like, Luca, sorry, bud, but here's three defenders in your face for all seven games. Or maybe it's stay home on everybody and let's let Luca try and score a hundred and let him wear himself out. I mean, the Clippers mm-hmm. kind of did that at some points in the series last year. They were just like, eh, if you want to beat us one-on-one, do it a hundred times, you know, and see they if you did have it in the, in the two game series here in Dallas, where mm-hmm. Luke went off, had a big game. Ty- Tyron was like, look, he can't do it again. Like <laughs> he can't do yeah, it. Again. And he almost and did. Man. He and he, he and he, it exactly. Almost put it off, but they were able to win, you know, split those games. I think that's how teams may look at it. You're right as well in that way. As yeah, well. And if you can do that for seven games, hats off to you. If you can outscore mm-hmm. our entire team, try it. But the Mavs are going to have to prove one of those things, maybe even both of them within the course of the same game. But um, I mean, I'm just trying to envision what a manically double teaming Utah team would look like, for example, because like they want Gobert out there, right? They already mm-hmm. have two small guards, Conley and Mitchell. Neither of those guys is going to guard Luka. That would be disastrous for them, probably. Mm-hmm. Royce O'Neal, definitely a capable Luka defender. Big body, thick, long arms, not afraid. You know, plays physical, but isn't going to pick up six fouls in the first quarter. But that's pretty much it. It's like Bogdanovich, okay. Rudy Gay, like, okay. Joe Ingles getting hurt really hurts them. Jordan Clarkson off the bench. Daniel House, like... None of these guys are really kind of like Lucas stoppers, you know? And so in the event where Utah is double teaming, they're sending like a smaller guy at Luca and then making Gobert and Bogdanovich cover a lot of ground, like on the mm-hmm. weak side. Like, I just don't know logistically how a team is going to pull it off. Like, I, I feel like in the playoffs, the Mavs are going to be able to at least get good shots at will. The, the difference between a good shot and good offense though, is that in good offense, you got to make the shots exactly. right? and they didn't do that enough last season, but I feel like, you know, I feel like the Mavs playoff series this year will hinge on, is this defense actually legitimate? Can the Mavs stop a team that has Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley? Can the Mavs stop a team that has John Morant and Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks, or like that has Jokic and Jamal Murray, because odds mm-hmm. are it's going to be one of those three teams. I guess you're like, there is a scenario in which you could face Minnesota I guess there's a scenario in which you could fall out of the top six and face either Phoenix or Golden State. But like the defense is going, the offense is going to have to make enough shots, obviously. But like the if, if the defense is legit, then I think the Mavs can beat any of those three teams. Um, but proving that, I guess, again, is is a whole nother kind of story. That's why guys like Bullock and Dinwiddie and Bertans and Jalen Brunson to an extent you know, these guys that have to knock down shots because you have to make teams pay for their willingness to double and at times triple Luka Doncic because you're going to have anytime you play with this guy, you're going to find yourself with a bunch of wide open looks. If you can find yourself knocking down 37 to 40 percent of those shots that you're going to get, you're going to beat a lot of teams. Then you've got to force teams to make decisions on whether or not they're going to stay home on shooters or if they're going to continue to double him you're going to leave guys wide open. And if they're knocking down shots, that's a problem for teams. And then once that starts to happen, now you're opening things up for Luca to be able to create and space for himself, for teammates, 
Dwight Powell gets more involved, on the, especially on the offensive end. You know, we know how good they are in pick and roll situations and what they like to do together. That, to me, is the biggest part. And what's, what's the old adage in this league? It's a make or miss league. And that truly is, especially when you, once you get to the playoffs, that really comes into play. Because now, when you get to the playoffs, you have to force teams to make decisions on how they're going to guard you based on how you're executing night in and night out. And for a seven-game series, if you're knocking down shots, you're going to force teams to make some, probably some bad decisions when it comes to defending Luka Doncic because at that point, he can do anything that he wants to when his teammates. That's why we've always said, get shooters around the guy. He can make plays for himself. We know he can do that. Get guys around him that can shoot the basketball and knock it down consistently, and then you open things up for him to do whatever he well pleases when it comes to the game. And sometimes you are a victim of make or miss. You know, last season, Mavs mm-hmm. go up 2-0. They go up 2.5 to 0, you know? Yeah, right. The exactly. Because they were just making. And mm-hmm. then uh, the or miss part kind of was like, yeah, I'm still here, guys. You know, I'm, I'm still part of this, too. And uh, that was a big bummer. But, okay, changing gears from Luka. If you mm-hmm. had to pick one Luka on the team to have a whole podcast about, because God knows we have all talked a lot about Luka over the last <laughs> three or four years, who is the one? Who is the Mav that you find the most interesting for any reason? Basketball, off-court, whatever. Dwight Powell seems like he's a very, very thoughtful guy, a guy who does a lot of reading, a lot of thinking. I would be interested to hear some really different conversations from him on just world stuff, like, you know, whether it be outside of basketball, his thoughts on whatever case. Dwight Powell strikes me as a guy who's extremely interesting, very thoughtful in what he expresses each time, you know, he talks. So, yeah, I think Dwight Powell to me is the most interesting man outside of Luka. So there's there's some symmetry here because it's February now, obviously, but – January of 2020, playing the best basketball of his life, tears his Achilles, right? Mm. Rehabs all summer through COVID, through the pandemic, no idea when the season is going to start again. I guess fortuitously, the season didn't start in October. For him, at least, it started in December. Um, He was able to get a couple extra months in, but did not start the season very well. And in January of 2021, basically gets benched, just disappears for a couple months. Mm Mm-hmm. Then fast forward to January 2022, and he goes on this tear where he's playing, again, like maybe the best defensive basketball of his life and efficiency-wise on offense, you know, kind of almost to the same level as he was before. I think since January 1st, he's number one in offensive rating in the league, and now a lot of dunk shots, as he calls them. So it's not like he's out here, you know, (laughs) hoisting threes or anything, but like still he's feasting on lobs again, you know, kind of the way that he used to. Mm-hmm. On the other side of 30, you know, two years removed from an Achilles injury, it's very impressive. But, uh, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on on 2021-22 Dwight Powell, considering, like, where he – did you think – I guess what I'm saying, sorry. Did you think that he was cooked, like, last year? Did you think he was ever going to get any better? Did you think it was over for him? Did you see kind of a rebound coming? And, and kind of how – what are your thoughts on him now as, like – defensive not an anchor but like a very useful defensive piece Dwight Powell and I think that's all we wanted from him you know we've understood for years you know the connection that he's had you know with Luka Doncic and pick and roll situations his ability to finish at the rim he's been fantastic at that and I don't think that's something we've ever questioned in his game the question has always been can he not be a defensive liability can you leave him in in stretches and feel good about what he'll bring to you not only as a defender but at times, can he be a better rebounder? Can he be a more consistent defensive rebounder to be able to lock down possessions when you get good defense from your teammates? Now that we're seeing some of that, that 
I think will give Mavs fans more confidence that you can leave him in for stretches where not only he's affecting the defensive end better, but you know what you're going to get from him offensively and how he affects the game with the screen and roll game and all the stuff that he does. That, to me, I think is the biggest part of why you hope for the next, you know, 20-some-odd games that he can continue to bring that because that's going to be real key for him to remain in games longer to especially affect the offensive end the way that he does. If he can show consistency in terms of defensive energy and effort, but also finishing possessions as a defensive rebounder, now I think you've got something there that can feel you can feel good about going forward for the rest of the year. And shout-out to Dwight, too, not only for how he's playing this year, but also last year, those games in March or April, whenever they were, against the Lakers, those wins they got at home. Mm-hmm. He had like 25 in one of those games. Those are like kind of the biggest wins of the season. And yeah, so, uh, exactly. Yeah, he, uh, he he can still step up and deliver. But yeah, I mean, utility, you have to be able to play defense, especially as a big man. I mean, it's very hard to hide perimeter guys on defense. It's almost impossible to hide big men defenders that, that are unable to do something, whether mm-hmm. it's he can't switch, Mavs will just go right at Zubots all day long. You know, yep. until they play him out of the series, or you can't protect the rim. Going to post up Jokic on Dwight fifty times in a row, make you double team him because he can't guard me one on one, and then I'm just going to find open shooters all day. Like it's impossible to hide uh, to hide a, a a poor defending big man. So steps forward he's taken this year have been super duper ultra important. Um, I don't want to keep you all day. So last kind of subject is uh, how surprised were you on February 10th? just generally the way it all went down. Uh, KP kind of came here out of nowhere and he <laughs> left out of nowhere too. It was very strange. Um, and then do you, do you agree? Cause I, there's kind of like a divide, I guess opinion is divided in many ways on the trade. Uh, mm-hmm. It's either glad it's over or uh, this team, the ceiling is lower following the trade or the ceiling hasn't moved at all. Like we know the ceiling is the roof, but like, do you, I, I guess, what is kind of your opinion on the on the fallout of the trade as it affects the team? We know how it affects the team down the line, but this year specifically. My initial reaction was I thought the ceiling for this year's team was lowered a little bit because while you don't like the idea of his availability and what it was, I mean, he's still not available as of right now, you know, even going to Washington you thought that, okay, you get him back for the second half or the post-All-Star break, you know, sprint to the finish, and then into the playoffs, where defensively he had gotten back to what he was when he was in New York and at times in Dallas with his ability to block shots and help out and those kinds of things. So my initial reaction was, one, a little bit of confusion because I was like, okay, this team was reportedly interested in Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, in the summer. Okay, so no harm, no foul that you eventually got to the guy. But I thought in some ways it was going to be Tim Hardaway and Dinwiddie going for one another, not necessarily Porzingis. But then we start looking at the contracts, you know, basically you split Porzingis's contract in half with Bertans and with Dinwiddie. If you can get these guys back to where the value of them allows them either to be valuable pieces for this team going forward in the future or pieces that you could eventually use to acquire something bigger down the road okay that makes sense the biggest thing was getting off of Porzingis's contract and I told somebody this you know when the trade went down and I it just you know it is what it was when it came to my mind was Nico Harrison in this front office to me was able to get Mark Cuban to admit something that I didn't think was necessarily 
possible, which was he was wrong about the Porzingis trade because to get off the trade, get a couple of pieces that you think can help you, but also an admission of, yeah, we thought this was going to work with Porzingis and Doncic. Ultimately, it didn't. I think it's a big admission on this franchise's part to actually move forward in that way, to do what they had to do to move off of. Because to be honest with you, I didn't think Porzingis was going to get moved this season. Now, maybe into the offseason and maybe down the road, I didn't think it was going to happen this year because I thought he had done enough, even in the small sample size that he had, to prove that he could actually maybe be a piece that could help them maybe move further in the playoffs this year. But you give this front office a lot of credit for taking the chance that they did moving off the contract. And now with Dinwiddie and Bertans, maybe you can get yourself to where you need, you want to go ultimately. Cause they're not, to me, they're not going to necessarily win a championship this year. You, obviously you hope that they make a, you know, a deep surprise run in the playoffs, but I think this is more about an eye toward the future and what that means for those two specifically, or potentially acquiring something bigger to go along with Doncic, you know, down the road, potentially. Yeah. Two big things out of that one, like you were saying about just, trading him now just willing being willing to admit that you know as much as I like KP and as much as I like watching him mm -hmm. uh, I think we all kind of had higher expectations I'm sure the players sure. did too the team did too and everything but if you hang on to him forever it becomes like the sunk cost fallacy you know I mean you just can't you can't just keep trying forever mm -hmm. um, and so you know it's it's admirable that they made the move then also as it relates to the team ceiling like I don't agree that it lowers the team ceiling because we've seen them lose in the first round two years in a row. Like their ceiling can't be lower than that. I guess yeah. like maybe there is, there is a chance now this could happen with or without KP. There is a chance that Minnesota just gets red hot and the Mavs lose some games because they have a tough second half schedule, mm -hmm. but a four game lead with 23 to go. As long as you don't lose both of the Minnesota games, the rest of the way you should be okay. I, but yeah, I've seen crazier things happen. Crazier things have happened to the Mavs. They lost as a 67 win team. But like the only way their ceiling could be lower is if they just straight up don't make the playoffs. I mean, that's it. And so I I just don't believe that uh that that's the case, but I mean, I think it it does dynamically shift what they're going to do on the floor because mm -hmm. we'll probably never utter the word post up again like the rest of our <laughs> lives unless the Mavs get some other big man in here, but like or Luca goes now, in the post a little more these days. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, they might give Dwight some touches down there. I don't right. know. But, uh, you know, got to establish the run game. But right. I think, like, this is now a completely perimeter-oriented team. Mm -hmm. uh, they're probably going to shoot more threes than they even did under Rick. Uh, they're going to run way more pick and roll. They're a completely switchable defensive team now, basically one through five almost all the time. Um, it, it really changes what they're going to do. And so I'm not sure that the team is any better. I don't think the team is any worse, but the team is extremely different. And uh, it is a shame, I think, ultimately, that in order to make a move like this to where it enables you to do all of that stuff, in order to make a move like that, it meant giving away KP, who was like sure. you know, kind of the, the, the biggest transaction they've made in a long time. Um, but... I think that change can be good. I mean, we've seen it on the coaching. We just spent an hour, dude, talking about how everyone's in a better mood now that they made a coaching change. <laughs> like, sometimes change can be good. Change can also yeah. be bad. It's not always a good thing, but, like, change can be good. Yeah, and I think what you said was important because multiple guys can do multiple things on the floor now. Dorian Finney-Smith can guard positions one through four. Maxi Kleba can guard multiple positions. There are different combinations. You know, Bullock can guard multiple positions on the floor. There's a lot of different things that you can do with a lot of different guys. 
And that kind of flexibility, I think, will bode well for them in the future to where you could play multiple lineups with different guys depending on matchups night in and night out. And you you didn't necessarily have that flexibility with Porzingis because you knew that you had to have him defensively as kind of your anchor, you know, in the middle. So the versatility that they have defensively, I think, is a big part of what they'll be able to have to rely on going forward for the rest of the season and into the playoffs. And if they can, it'll be tested at times, especially if they get deeper into the playoffs against, you know, the Utahs of the world, the Phoenixes of the world, you know, the Golden States of the world. That'll be tested, but I think they are better for it because now guys will be able to do more on the floor based on what their skill sets, you know, provide them to do. So that'll be a fun part to watch for them defensively. You mentioned the tough schedule that they start off with, you know, Utah, Golden State, the Lakers. Like, they, they got some real tough games that are really going to put a lot of this to the test early on in this post-All-Star break here. Yeah, and I don't know how much schedule watching you do or how much schedule watching anyone else does, but Utah and Denver, right out of the gates, extremely easy schedules for, like, the next, like, eight to ten games. They play a bunch of teams that are below 500, like, non-playoff mm-hmm. teams. And now that doesn't mean they're going to win them all. It sure. doesn't even mean they're going to win half of them. Maybe they really slump. But there's a very good chance that we're going to wake up in a week or two and the Mavs are going to be in sixth place. Don't panic, <laughs> all right? <laughs> Schedule starts off tough for Dallas, gets a little easier. Schedule starts off easy for for Denver, gets a little tougher. It is mm-hmm. a race, but there's only 23 games left. So, you know, time is of the essence here. But um, are there any uh, are there, are there any final takes you want to fire off? Any any other things that we didn't touch on that you really want to uh, that you really want to, to get after? It's immense. It's interesting because the number 23 has come up quite a bit. 23 games left. Luka Doncic will be 23 in a few days here. And then, of course, he got the full goat blessing from Michael Jordan during the All-Star Ooh. game, the ultimate 23 himself. So I think the number 23 has a lot of uh, a lot of symmetry here. I, th- I just thought for me, just that whole All-Star weekend itself, aside from the dunk contest, uh, was pretty cool because – you know, you got the 75th NBA anniversary team, you know, Jordan gets to be able to be around, you know, obviously the legends, but to see him embrace, you know, especially the viral moment that everybody saw with Luka Doncic, I thought was just phenomenal. I'm really interested to see, not that any special Jordan touch will do something for him, but just how he reacts in the first couple, two to three games after, you know, getting the, uh, the goats touch, if you will you know, from Michael Jordan, I think it will be pretty cool to see. And knowing that he'll turn 23, you know, in the next few days, I just thought that was a pretty, a pretty cool deal for Doncic. And I think it was a, a confirmation for him and for folks who watch this player that that dude has been certified by Jordan himself. So the sky was a limit before. I don't know what the limit is now for him now that he's had the public official blessing, if you will, of, of Michael Jordan in that way. They had a pretty epic rager in Miami. I think it was his 21st birthday for Luca. Uh, but given that the All-Star break is a week later now than it used to be, hopefully mm-hmm. Adel's birthday party done, you know. <laughs> Let's say he got it all out the way, you know, yeah. in the last few days before they start playing the yeah. schedule again now. Yeah, I am, uh, I'm kind of sad because now all of the under-23 stats are about to be over. You know, now we got to yeah. go like most triple-doubles, most threes, most whatever – under 24, you know, like it just keeps the threshold keeps moving up. And eventually we're going to wake up one day and Luca's not going to be young anymore. And we're not going to mm. be able to be like, he's only 28 because like that doesn't come on. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a grown man at that, but you're full, full grown man at that point. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kevin, thank you very much. Kevin Gray, Kevin Gray sports on YouTube. 
Kevin Gray Sports on Twitter, 105.3 The Fan. The reason I'm not saying a specific show is because you can find him on <laughs> 105.3 The Fan at all hours of the day, all days of the week. Dude, you're everywhere mm-hmm. all the time. I, I don't know like how you, when do you sleep? It's a good question. My wife asks me the same question all the time. When do you go to sleep? <laughs> it's whenever it's dark, I guess. <laughs> I'll yeah. get some hours and then wake up again. Yeah, hardworking dude, man. I respect it. Thank you for coming on today. It was finally good to, uh, again, just be able to grill you for once. Well, look, man, I appreciate the tables being turned, and I appreciate the invite. Look forward to doing this uh, much more often, hopefully when the weather is uh, much better and can cooperate a little bit better uh, yes. as well. Yes, because uh, kind of unrelated, but uh, if you've watched on Twitch, you know Studio 41. We got this big studio space in our office. It's awesome. Um, over the All-Star break, Chopper actually put up like a – some more stuff in here. I don't know. It looks amazing, but uh, yeah, weather is terrible. I almost bit the dust a few times on the way oh, into the office. No. Today. I'm only oh, walking no. to work too. And I was basically skating all the way to work. <laughs> uh, I, I chose the wrong day to wear my air force ones. I should have just worn oh, hiking boots, man. but, uh, but yeah, it's pretty brutal. But yeah, anyway, uh, Kevin will be in, we're streaming on Twitch Monday through Friday, 10 AM central standard time. Uh, eventually Kevin, we got to get you in here. And uh, you can see the studio. So, uh, yeah, because you've been on uh, you've been on the channel before. You did the draft show with us, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so you're uh, you're you're definitely a friend of the a friend of the show. We can call you that for sure. I appreciate that, man. Look forward to uh, many times doing it, and uh, hopefully the Mavericks will uh, give us some good stuff to talk about as the, uh, the rest of the season goes on here. Hope so, man. All right, appreciate you. Thank you all for listening, uh, Kevin. You're awesome. Have a good day, everyone.